the consumer duty does differ from previous approach of, of uh, treating customers fairly, which is very much framed largely around one principle without all of the additional heavy weight of, of rules and guidance. It's important to note here that the, this breadth of application across retail products and services um, regardless of subsector, is a deliberate policy and supervisory approach here from the regulator. I think the really interesting one of the, of the cross-cutting rules for me is this expectation that, that firms enable uh, customers to pursue their financial objectives. Um, I think that's a really interesting rule um, and it moves on the debate around uh, that we've often had around different expectations on firms where you compare um, sales that involve advice uh, as compared to non-advice sales and, and pushes a not dissimilar expectation across the um, entire product and service life cycle. So it's going to mean that, that firms do need to think carefully about how they equip customers with the right information at the right time to, to help ensure that they make good decisions. Hello and welcome to our new episode of Risk and Regulation Unraveled, our Grant Thornton's Financial Services podcast. I'm Irina Velkova, your regular host, and I bring to you conversations about the dynamic world of risk and regulation. We help our financial services clients understand new regulatory developments, upcoming changes, and how to stay ahead of the regulatory curve by inviting renowned experts to share their insights. Today's episode is different to all series that we have done so far and the subject warrants an overhaul approach. DFCA just published its final rules and guidance on consumer duty, an entire new set of conduct rules aimed at better consumer protection. The consumer duty has already been described as the biggest regulatory shift in recent years, and frankly, having read the rules, it marries the description. The newness in the rules is a lot, a number of brand new concepts are introduced, and some of the old ones baked in a new fashion, allowing lots of room for interpretation. So to dissect the new requirements and hopefully share our thoughts and interpretation of the new rules in an easy and digestible way, I have invited to the podcast our Head of Regulatory Practice, Alex Ellerton, who has already led a number of consumer duty projects and has a first-hand knowledge on applying some of these new concepts in practice. Alex, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Irina. It's, it's lovely to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, pleasure as always. So when we were preparing for this podcast, I think only a day after the rules were published, you asked me whether I indeed meant a 20 minute episode as opposed to 20 hours episodes. And you were right, actually, there is a lot to unpack here. So perhaps let's start with some of the basics. What are actually the new consumer duty rules and where is that codified? You're right, Irina. So this this is a really important um, new piece of uh, regulation um, where firms and the regulator have inv already invested a lot of time to to understand exactly what's uh, what's intended here. Um, and fundamentally, this is going to be driven by a new principle for businesses, um, principle 12, which will state that a firm must act to deliver good outcomes for retail customers. Um, and I think it's, you know, from my perspective, it, it's been deliberately pitched by the FCA at the highest level of binding rules um, that apply to firms. So those principles apply to everybody. Uh, they are rules. Um, and it essentially means that where, um, where principle 12, this new principle will apply, um, the current principle six, which is all about customers' interests, which those of, of, of our listeners who, who, who have, have spent lots of time looking at treating customers fairly in the past will, 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 will know and, and love that principle um, uh, uh, indeed. 
um, and um, and principle seven, which which relates to communication with um, clients. Uh, both of those will be disapplied um, in situations to the extent that principle twelve applies. Um, feels a bit unwieldy and 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 unnecessarily complicated to me, but but you can kind of see what's going on here. So principle twelve twelve is the new thing that will encompass kind of what six and seven were trying to do previously. Um, I think it, it's important to note that there has been lots of debate um, around how to frame the wording of the new principle, and it definitely puts more emphasis on um, this, uh, demonstrable action being required to deliver good outcomes. Um, and, and that's as compared to what I think anyway is a more passive um, type of wording in the current principle six, which and talks more about firms paying due regard to customers' interests. So definitely a shift to more um, uh, demonstrable action uh, required and, and, and showing that in the future. Um, in, in terms of you, you asked the question around, you know, how, how does this come into the rule book? Um, it, that, that principle will be supported by cross-cutting rules. Um, and we might talk about these a little bit later, um, but just at high level, they, these, these cover acting in good faith towards retail customers avoiding uh, causing foreseeable harm to retail customers and, and enabling and supporting retail customers to pursue their financial objectives. So those cross-cutting rules are, are, are there very much to, to, to provide, um, from, from the regulator's perspective, more clarity around its expectations uh, of the standards that, that firms are going to have to demonstrate to discharge their obligations under the new principle. And I think it's just it's really interesting to me that, you know, you don't get that same level of detail uh, within the principles um, within the print part of the um, uh, rule book. Um, you don't get that same level of, of, of detail for other principles that we've we've already um, um, got to got to know how to how to frame our responses around. So um, outside of those um, that the principle and the cost cutting rules, the remaining rules um, and guidance are then framed around the four outcomes um, in relation to consumer duty, which again, we'll talk about these later, I'm sure, but, but, but are framed around products and services, price and value, consumer understanding and consumer support. So four different outcomes expected to be delivered by firms across the piece there. So, um, if if you know there'll be a number of, of our listeners I know who who like to um, uh, flick through the rule book, um, so you'll find all of that in in print. Uh, so the principles for businesses uh, source book within the FCA handbook, um, and I think I, it, it is pertinent to me that there are a large amount of new rules. Um, you, you mentioned that right at the start, and and I think this this alone, frankly, sets out how the uh, consumer duty does differ from previous approach of, of uh, treating customers fairly, which is very much framed largely around one principle without all of the additional um, uh, heavy weight of, of, of rules and guidance. Um, and this guidance that I keep referring to as well, so, so there's guidance within um, uh, the, the, the principles for business, um, uh, businesses um, uh, uh, rule book, um, but it is important here to highlight the non-handbook guidance that has been set out in um, FG 22.5 as well, uh, which is 121 pages of, I think, actually genuinely informative context and guidance um, that does aim to make the big picture aims of, of these handbook rules and guidance a bit a bit clearer. Um, so I think I think I think actually that that non-handbook guidance is is one of the better examples of of making that type of guidance more clearly identifiable as such and making it a bit more navigable um, and helpful to firms as well. Um, 
the other key point that I should just just raise as well in terms of new areas of rules in the handbook, we'll see updates um, under COCON, which is the Code of Conduct sourcebook. Um, and that's where the individual conduct rules under the senior managers and certification regime have also been updated to include a new individual conduct rule six, uh, which states that you must act to deliver good outcomes for retail customers. Um, and essentially that's replicating the same obligation on the firm uh, for conduct rule staff of a firm who are subject to SM and CR. So essentially FCA has done this to um, reflect the highest standard of conduct uh, for individuals expected under the duty. Um, so, I mean, actually, there's there's only um, 68 pages of of made final rules. But when you start I'm to consider how this indeed <laughs> how, you, how how this applies over the totality of a firm's relationship with a customer, you get to see why this is such a game changer. And I think this definitely moves the focus away from where we've generally been over the last 20 years or so in, in the UK, where um, conduct regulation has, has generally been more focused on point of sale um, uh, in, in general, and, and that we now definitely look to include outcomes experienced by retail customers over the entire length of their relationship with a service, with a product or with a firm. So hopefully that gives just a bit of a sort of broad starting context as to why this is such a big thing. It, it sounds big indeed, and it sounds like a plethora of rules and firms probably will be grappling, grappling for quite some time with that. So perhaps let's shift into um, application then. And we tend to think of consumer regulation as predominantly linked to retail business, but how does consumer duty apply to retail versus wholesale business and linked to that, I guess, what what are the sectors that this applies to and which geographies are in scope? Yeah, this is a really good question and, and you're right. This this is fundamentally at the end of the day about retail customers. Um, however, as usual in this kind of thing, uh, it's not quite as simple as that. Um, spending the time to make sure that, that firms are really clear about the perimeter of, of this and how it applies is really important even before getting into deep detailed gap analyses of, 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 of the customer outcome expectations, frankly. Um, and I think that the very fact that um, the application of the duty applies across very different subsectors within um, financial services and different products and services um, means that the FCA has tried to be consistent with the historical definitions of what a retail customer or a consumer is. So across the different subsectors, we're used to looking at the different source books to, to understand what that is, and they are differently defined. So that, that's the starting point. Um, it, it does mean that we end up with um, different definitions uh, when, uh, for example, if you consider a uh, one the same customer who's, who's got a general insurance product um, and has also got a regulated uh, mortgage, um, they might be uh, considered slightly differently from uh, whether they are a consumer or retail customer. So it is a bit messy. And we know that the larger firms in particular who do operate across um, multiple subsectors have been working really hard to try and capture this clearly to make sure that nothing falls uh, down the cracks as well. Um, but I mean, essentially firms need to generally consider how a retail customer is defined in relevant conduct of business rule books. Uh, so, for example, BCOBs, MCOB, ICOBs, COBs, that, that sort of stuff. So we're used to looking there already. You will see that retail customer is, is not necessarily defined in the same way in each of those books. 
Um, and I think Very the helpful. whole it it does mean that you need to be on your on on your on your game i think to 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 be able to get this done well um and and the whole matter of of the scope of the consumer duty has um already consumed a lot of thinking time uh, we know in industry um and i think it's notable that the fca then spends uh, quite a bit of time up front in the policy statement um uh, in ps 229 in in trying to help clarify this as well so so um, I think good to know that that, that regulator understands that, that this is something difficult to deal with. Um, it's worth noting um, that the impact on SME, so small and medium enterprise customers, um, has been much talked about, um, with um, some even questioning why the consumer duty uh, should apply to SME customers at all. Um, what we've seen in the final uh, policy statement is, is FCA making clear that it does intend that the duty should apply where existing parts of the sectoral rule books, which I've just mentioned, um, already provide protections to SME customers. Um, and an often cited um, example here is, is that of an SME customer who might be out of scope of the duty in relation to a bank account, but is then within the scope of the duty for an insurance product um, that they have via the same firm. So. I think it's fair to say that FCA is very much expecting firms to navigate this uh, scope carefully and will expect them to be able to be clear with customers about the varying standards um, that are in play and where the customer relationship spans different products and services that will be more important um, and, and therefore how different applications of the duty might, might come to bear. Um, perhaps um, unsurprisingly, um, FCA is keen to point out that there's nothing stopping a firm from applying the higher standards under the consumer duty to those products and services that are technically out of scope. Um, but clearly this will require um, important cost benefit analysis um, by firms to understand whether that's a good thing to do um, or not. Um, on the matter of, of uh, and you mentioned the world, uh, the, the word um, wholesale in, in, in the question as well, Irina, and I think um, the, the general approach here to the wholesale sector is, is that the duty will apply to firms that have a material influence over the design or operation of retail products or services, including their price and value. Uh, a material influence over the distribution of retail products and services or preparing and approving communications that are to be issued to retail clients or direct contact with retail clients on behalf of another firm. Um, and that would include firms that are involved in debt collection or mortgage administration. That's a bit of a mouthful, but I mean, I think the, the key thing there is that it comes down to how much influence does a, a wholesale firm have over the end um, result that, that a retail customer experiences. We've seen the FCA take steps to clarify in, in the final rules that um, products and services that are not designed for retail customers are not in scope of the duty, uh, where they are only marketed um, um, or approved uh, for distribution to, to non-retail customers um, and aren't provided then to another firm as part of a distribution chain that, that might um, provide them to retail customers as well. Um, so I think it's, it's fair to say there is a little more clarity around the expected impact on wholesale firms um, with FCA explaining that the duty only applies to the extent that the wholesale firm is responsible for determining or materially influencing retail customer outcomes. It's um, going to be a lot of work for the lawyers though here. I think material influence is just like heaven for interpretation, isn't it? There's, there's, there's lots of this where I think in due course the sort of subjective 
analysis that, that, that require we might come on to talk to some of the sort of you know words around reasonableness and things like that um which, which sort of uh, are used in in, in abandon through, throughout uh, throughout the um uh, policy statement as well um definitely one where i think making sure that that firms have a good um, articulation of why they've determined a particular route of action on this will will be important um, I, th I think just sticking with the wholesale theme for a moment, um, that, that there is another area of um, additional clarity that, that's been provided around the exclusion that will apply to uh, what are primarily wholesale instruments. Um, so those financial instruments that are designed for uh, wholesale investors. And the key point here is that the definitions around this exclusion have been tweaked a bit in the final rules to help ensure that the duty um, doesn't inadvertently end up applying where it really wasn't intended. Um, so, so as I say, I, I think the big takeaway for me here is, is, is that wholesale firms need to be able to articulate carefully whether and to what extent they think the duty will apply. Um, it's not a simple get out of jail card that can be played that, that, that you are a wholesale firm, um, but but with some careful work, I, I think there is a sort of sensible path through that. You asked about um, geographical and jurisdictional aspects of the application as well. Um, and again, I think this this has been something that has been a key area of interest for firms uh, with international operations, obviously, and, and particularly so in the asset management and uh, insurance and fund world as well. Um, feels to me like this is going to be another one of these areas you, you've mentioned the interaction with with with, with lawyers on, on this that, that will require an ongoing dialogue I think um, and there's a certain amount of re-explaining that firms might have to do at regular interval intervals um, I, it, it's not going to be straightforward but but what the FCA is clear in its aims here is that the duty should apply to firms conducting regulated activities in the UK um, this will uh, explicitly include Gibraltar firms selling into the UK and firms in the um, transitional period um, post Brexit um, as well. Um, I think where it gets more complicating, com complicated uh, is, is where um, distribution chains um, include a mix of UK and non-UK firms um, and the FCA has noted that a key concern has been how UK firms will be able to monitor products under the products and services outcome and the price and, uh, price and value outcome. Um, with, and whilst we've seen uh, alongside you know, more clarity uh, that uh, firms that comply with current uh, uh, product, um, so prod expectations, uh, would see uh, those firms okay um, uh, against the product and services and price and value outcomes under consumer duty. FCA has aimed to make it clearer um, that, that it recognises that firms in distribution chains, including non-UK distributors selling to non-UK customers, uh, may not have the same ease of access to the kind of MI and data um, that, that might be required to discharge responsibilities under the duty. Um, so there's not going to be an easy answer to some of this. And I think, you know, the comments from the regulator that the duty as a whole applies based on what is reasonable in the context of the circumstances uh, does indicate to me that that's another one of those areas where you're going to have to have a good articulation here. Why have you, why have you gone down the route that you have? Um, show us, show us your thinking. Yeah, even more work for the lawyers, I think. <laughs> Um, you mentioned quite a few times so far products and services, but how does 
they supply to the different products and services? Is it all in scope or is there some sort of differentiation there? So I, I, again, this, this is a really important point and there's some important aspects to draw out here. Um, so as we've talked about earlier, this, this is fundamentally focused on um, products and services. And I guess that's an important point. It's products and services. It's not just products um, uh, that are provided to retail customers. Um, and we have highlighted that FCA has tried to make it clearer how this um, will not, they don't, how they don't expect the duty to apply to financial instruments that are designed for wholesale investors. But the important thing here is that this generally will otherwise apply to all products and services that firms provide, manufacture or distribute. Um, and it will extend to uh, payment services, for example, and will cover the breadth of um, retail lending, deposit taking, insurance, investment and mortgage related business. Um, so it's important to note here that the, this breadth of application across retail products and services, um, regardless of subsector, is a deliberate policy and supervisory approach here from the regulator, I think. Um, it will mean and it will mean that they have a more uh, straightforward way of supervising and enforcing uh, conduct standards in an increasingly complex and um, let's face it, interconnected financial services industry, where I think it's become just increasingly complex to set common standards that individual customers should expect regardless of what product or service is in question. Um, the, I think your question also prompts us to think about how this is going to be applied to both open books of current business and services and also to closed books too. Um, so I think it's fair to say that the regulator has become increasingly concerned about outcomes that are experienced by customers with products that are in closed books particularly uh, in respect of the value that they might deliver and the support that is provided by firms over the longer term of those closed books. So there's been, I think, um, a little bit of confusion as to what exactly the FCA means when it says that it will not apply the duty retrospectively. And to be clear, um, this, this means that firms' prior actions will not be held to new standards imposed under the duty. However, closed books and the outcomes experienced by customers with those products going forwards will definitely be in scope of the duty um, as of uh, July 2024. Um, and that's in line with the revised implementation, the phased implementation timelines uh, that the FCA has been set, uh, set, set out. Um, so there is a there's definitely a more proportionate approach to the product and services outcome rules for those closed books, um, but firms will face the challenge of uh, making sure they can show that they are taking appropriate steps where required on a go forward basis to ensure that those products continue to represent fair value and don't cause uh, foreseeable harm. So if we shift now attention to some of the new concepts that are introduced with the consumer duty, there is, of course, a lot of focus, and that's at this, at, if you like, at the heart of the new rules around what good um, outcome means, and perhaps how that differs to treating customers fairly. And and you kind of touched on that at the very beginning when you spoke about it. But I'm sure there will be lots of firms out there in, who are trying to um, identify for themselves as to how the new rules actually differ from the good standards about treating customers fairly they have been applying so far. Um, 
and it is going to be really helpful, I think, if we can just try and help them with, um, yeah, perhaps elaborating a little bit more on that. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think this is one of the more practical challenges that is that you know is, is posed by the new duty, um, and I think it's important to note that that um, clearly understanding and articulating what an outcome is, uh, frankly, be that good or poor has been a challenge that's been faced by firms for a good while now already. Um, and that's just in the context of other thematic focus on conduct issues that are quite apart from the consumer duty. So I, I say that because I, th I think we've seen this emerging idea of uh, and challenge around how you oversee and deliver good outcomes um, already developing in, in some of the thematic areas um, in, in conduct regulation over the last few years. Um, we know from that kind of work that um, firms do find it difficult to articulate um, definitions and approaches to uh, customer outcomes and, and, and do that consistently. Um, I think arguably the new guidance adds um, some more and uh, adds some more useful content to draw upon uh, when, when you're looking at kind of what is a good and what is a poor outcome. But it will still come down to individual firms being able to talk uh, comfortably about what an outcome is and when they consider an outcome to occur during a customer journey. Um, and what I mean by that is that um, there are often differences in viewpoints when you look at a true end-to-end -end outcome for a customer um, over, over a period of time as compared to, for example, a point-in-time outcome. And, it, and it's looking at both of those things together that will, I think, truly um, furnish a firm with, with the right kind of insight into the outcomes that it is delivering. One of the key parts of um, uh, preparatory work for the consumer duty will be for firms to have mapped customer journeys at a sensible level and identified where each of the uh, four customer duty outcomes that we talked about a moment ago, uh, where they impact those journeys. And I think having a clear idea of what good or poor looks like at each of these points is going to be essential. And there will then be a, a you know a really important task in implementing changes and approaches to oversight of those outcomes in a way that all staff are really confident with and that can be con uh, they can do that consistently uh, and that they are properly considering outcomes rather than process uh, in all of their uh, uh, all aspects of their customer interactions. And I think that mindset change into looking and thinking about what's the outcome here is also going to be essential for um, all of those people involved in oversight functions uh, across all three lines of defence too. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, we, we've, we've touched a little bit already and, and, and lots of commentary around whether this is just a re-engineered or, or, or increased um, approach to treating customers fairly. Um, I think in terms of the, the differences between the prior approaches, um, the, the whole essence of, of demonstrating that firms are delivering on their obligations under the duty will be driven by uh, the evidence, the data, the, the, the records, the reporting that, su that support a, a really clear view on what outcomes are being delivered across the uh, customer journey. And, and, and that wasn't the case as much with, 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 um, with, a, uh, with a TCF sort of um, uh, focus. And this very much chimes with my earlier point that we will see a widening of the previous focus that's been generally been on point of sale historically um, and, and and that we'll need to um, consider end-to-end -end and intermediate 
uh, point in time outcomes across the whole of the distribution chain. So I, I think you know one of the challenges that, that I see here is, is that frankly just the reporting and oversight of this um, coherently across you know more complex distribution chains is just going to take years to refine. Yeah, and it's going to be really challenging for firms, as you say, from a practical perspective, to actually define for themselves, even for their own businesses, what actually good outcome means. But you already referred to two terms that uh, it seems like firms will be um, hearing on a much more regular basis going forward, the, the so-called four outcomes and the cross-cutting rules. I guess perhaps it would be helpful if you can just decipher these a little bit. Um, it sounds a bit alien at the minute, perhaps for firms. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think so, so, so really briefly on the basis that we could talk about these for, for, for hours, really. I mean, look, looking at the cross-cutting rules first, um, it's fair to say that, again, there's a fair amount of um, subjective positioning around these ideas that will still conf uh, concern firms. And um, it is frankly, um, you know, we'll only see some more clarification on some of this over time. Um, but to just taking those three in in, in order uh, and just providing some immediate thoughts, um, the expectation that firms act in good faith um, is, is probably something that all firms will say is an inter integral part of their business models. Um, and, and I think the things that I'd note on that are, you know, as well as using words such as honesty, uh, fair and open dealing. Um, the FCA is talking about firms acting consistently with the reasonable expectations of retail uh, customers. So that that's you know it's that reasonable word again. What does that mean? What does a reasonable um, customer uh, expect? Have you uh, can you articulate why why your approach therefore um, responds well to that? Um, and I think there's a clear indication that that particular cross cutting rule is also tied into culture at firms. And it's notable that there's now uh, more talk of, of, of that specifically in, 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 the, um, in terms of governance arrangements um, within the policy statement too. Um, the second cross-cutting rule around um, the expectation that firms avoid foreseeable harm, again, something that could probably take up a few hours of discussion really. Um, and I think it's one where we will continue to see uh, the debate around that, um, where inevitably uh, it'll come to bear where conduct issues are found, and they will be found going forwards, uh, but where they've caused uh, detriment or harm in future, um, the debate around kind of how foreseeable was that, did you know about it and what did you do about it at the time, if you did, um, will become really pertinent. Um, I, th I think what's um, you know what is and what isn't harm even have have, have similarly been a, a, you know a key discussion point in a number of um, supervisory areas over uh, recent years and I, and I think fundamentally from my perspective what we're talking about is um, customers experience some kind of financial or non-financial detriment um, and how much of that could you have reasonably known might happen and did you take steps to, to mitigate that will be will be in play here um, so, so the key thing that will be you know what's foreseeable um, FCA notes that what's foreseeable will be a dynamic uh, thing and, and will change here over time. 
Um, uh, but but they've also tried to make clear that, that, that this shouldn't per se make firms responsible uh, for all the activities of other firms in a distribution chain, um, but only where a firm can reasonably foresee harm uh, and where it does so, it should act where it can and liaise with other parties to limit this harm. So this sort of interaction, we might talk about distribution chain a bit later, this interaction between um, those uh, parties becomes becomes important too. And then I think the, the the really interesting one of the of the cross cutting rules for me is this expectation that that firms enable uh, customers to pursue their financial objectives. Um, I think that's a really interesting rule, um, and it moves on the debate around uh, that we've often had around different expectations on firms where you compare um, sales that involve advice uh, as compared to non-advice sales. And, and pushes a not dissimilar expectation across the um, entire product and service life cycle. So it's going to mean that, that firms do need to think carefully about how they equip customers with the right information at the right time to, to help ensure that they make good decisions. And we know that, that there will be some agitation from firms around how culpable they are uh, for, for any decisions that somebody makes uh, thereafter uh, when, when they are a consumer. So I think that's a really interesting one. Yeah, and it sounds is going to be one for, for open debate for the time to come, as you say. Um, you mentioned a keyword a few times, which is reasonable. And there is this almost like test for reasonableness that comes across the entire final guidance and, and the consultation. And it sounds is going to be one of those concepts that firms are really going to struggle to apply in practice. And I'm not suggesting at all that we have the right answer at this particular moment of time. But what would be your interpretation of what actually would constitute reasonableness, if you like? So, so I think, and you're right here, I don't think we do have the right answer. I don't think anybody's got a cast iron answer on, on this at the moment. And some of this will be tested over time. But the things that I think firms will need to be showing that they are thinking about is that um, they tie their articulations of, of what reasonable is into um, a clear articulation and, and understanding of who a particular customer is, uh, customer bases, how this all fits in with um, types of services and products provided via what means, um, because I think what is reasonable for, for particular products, services and, and distribution channels will be will be different. Um, and I think that the key thing here again is, is, is that um, going into this, firms know that they might be quizzed on the idea of how did you get comfortable that that is reasonable? And it's, it's a little bit similar to kind of the debate that we've had around um, senior managers and certification regime around reasonable steps as well. It, it's yeah. definitely put this concept on the agenda so that senior management teams are thinking more about what's my, if you like, what's my defence as to why this was a sensible thing and a reasonable thing to do. Um, but I do think that um, the, the challenge here will be that there will not be one articulation of this that works for everybody. Um, I suspect that across different parts of uh, larger firms who deal with all sorts of different products and services as well, there might be differences in, in approach that need to be taken as well. So um, yeah, a highlight for me at the moment is, is that this is just one where showing you thinking and showing you working at the moment is going to be really very important. Yeah. And I guess very in a very similar vibe, the consumer duty is paying a special attention to the so-called prospective customers, huge shift. Uh, obviously, we've had that with financial promotions more 
not broadly, but since this is going even further away. So where do you see some of the challenges with applying that in practice? So it's it's interesting, isn't it? And and I think this idea and it's it's mentioned um most, I think, in, in the non-handbook guidance as well. But th this to my mind sort of amplifies the idea that um various parts of what a firm does either in designing its products and services and then taking them to market will be aimed at customers who are not yet customers so the idea of prospective customers um, is, is talked about um, and I think um, from a product and governance and a price and value perspective you can kind of see how that fits in with thinking around target markets um, and being really careful that, that things are designed appropriately to meet particular needs um, but then, uh, and you mentioned Irina, the, the financial promotion side of things, which which clearly you know has been probably the most um, closely aligned thing uh, to sort of uh, that's focused more on prospective customers. The the customer communication, um, uh, the consumer communication aspect of this, and, and, and understanding in particular, uh, in the way that that consumer understanding outcome is framed, um, is going to mean that that um, making sure that. Um, uh, customers who are not yet customers that but maybe are still getting the right kind of information and can understand it at the right times will be important and I think the flip side is is that um, when you look at some of the consumer support um, outcome expectations as well that that essentially um, you make sure as a firm that you are not um, inadvertently prioritizing prospective customers and, and looking after them because that's where all the new money is over and above um, existing customers who you've already got duty uh, of, of care and, and, and expectations of how you service them too. So I, th I think it's an interesting sort of mix of, of all of the above. Yeah. And it is going to be again one which is uh, going to take some time, I guess, for, for firms and organizations to, to make up their mind as to how this actually um, has to be applied, applied in practice and, and to ensure that indeed uh, this actually complies with the rules. Um, I kind of left uh, the best question for last perhaps in a way or almost the last uh, in terms of application but perhaps the most complex part of the consumer duty rules relate to the distribution chain and you already mentioned that a couple of times but how that's they supply to, if you like, the different participants in the chain. You, you, you did make reference that this is going to be quite complex, and particularly when different geographies are involved. Yep. So, so this this is really interesting to me, and I, and I think again, it's a deliberate tactical play by the FCA in in working through how in a world where so many different parties are potentially involved in providing products and services to end users um, that an ability to make sure that you can look through the whole distribution chain is really important we've seen this a lot in the last 15 years in a general insurance world so um, those firms that are sat in that subsector um, some of this is is kind of has already been road tested there and, and, and those firms are somewhat more used to the fact that um, um, being able to talk comfortably about what your role is in a more complex distribution chain. Um, I, I think th those firms are, are already getting to grips with that. Um, it's taken a while to do that, frankly. It was an objective from, from right back to F FSA days. Um, so I don't see this as something that sort of becomes, um, you know, perfectly refined um, within the short term even. But it, it will be a big thing for um, uh, non-insurance um, firms as well, because I think they're just not so much used to this. Um, it's fair to say that there are still 
um, you know, poor examples actually of, of where just expectations on who does what and who's responsible for what across distribution chains is, is not as clear as you would expect it to be. So this is where uh, predominantly FCA is coming from in, in, in wanting to make sure that firms are um, uh, clear about what their role is, that we talk a lot about um, product manufacturer and distributor um, and making sure that the um, expectations are understood on each of those. But it also, I think, applies where you've got um, other authorised persons in a chain or third parties that are relied upon to uh, provide aspects of, of services. So, so where um, loan administration, for example, and things like that are, are, are farmed out to other parties. Um, the idea that you can, um, you as a firm can say, well, nothing to do with me because somebody else was involved, um, that those days are, are behind us. And I think this, this will definitely push the expectations around how much oversight um, firms have of each other and the kind of information that is requested and required um, contractually and formally um, uh, so that, that the reporting and, and, and product aspects of of of, um, of this can be uh, discharged for, um, from a consumer duty perspective. Um, I can see this taking um, years to, to, to really uh, refine, as I say, I, I think um, there's an expectation here that in the short term firms are really clear on um, which other parties are involved in, in, in their distribution of, of products and services um, and have, have, have framed all of their consumer duty preparations uh, with that in mind as well. That almost lands into even more integrated approach between firms on the distribution chain and how it's all done. And do you think it's going to lead to more collaboration between firms or it's going to be more of a blame game? I'm so I'm kind of not really seeing which way it's going to go. I, I think it will, from my perspective, you know, the, the ideas of kind of what is truly distribution, what is truly joint venture type ideas, what is co-branding, what is partnership type stuff. Um, th there's a point here where the, the you know, the, the sort of market positioning of that um, uh, is, is going to be as important as the contractual bits in terms of who's responsible for what. Um, so I, I think we've already seen examples in the past where uh, regulators have want to make, wanted to make sure that, frankly, those account, who are seen as accountable for this, even if they are not the end um, person interacting with a retail consumer, ought, ought to be held responsible. And I think this, this just equips, equips them with a slightly uh, more uh, fungible tool to be able to do that. Yeah, and it sounds it's gonna it's gonna fall onto some of the larger players, as you'd expect for 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 them to bear that accountability and to require or demand that oversight. Okay, well, moving to more practical terms, I think now that we've covered application, hopefully, um, what are the actual timelines for adopting uh, for adopting and, and applying the new the new consumer duty rules? It's the question that everyone has been asking, Irina, um, and I think the. The, the amount of work that um, firms are required to do in what would have been a very short timeline um, has obviously attracted a lot of debate um, through to the final uh, policy statement. And the good news there is that um, the, the FCA has changed its approach here. So we were previously talking about um, all of this being implemented by April next year. Um, and what we've ended up with is a phased approach which sees um, implementation date for the new rules for new and existing products or services that are open to sale or renewal. The implementation for date for that will be 31st of July 2023. 
and the new date to implement the new rules for closed book products. So we talked about that differentiation before. Uh, so closed book products or services will be uh, 31st of July 2024. So a little bit longer to phase in the closed book um, approach here. But I think there's another couple of intermediates and, and pretty short term dates actually that are also highlighted within um, the final policy statement. Um, and importantly, there's an expectation here that by October 2022, so that's not far away, um, boards by that point should have agreed implementation plans and oversight arrangements for delivery of their work on consumer duty. So definitely a push here to make boards demonstrably accountable for showing that they've got good amounts of work uh, that are focused on the right areas in train uh, to meet those deadlines um, next year. And then uh, another important April 2023 date as well, uh, at which point um, manufacturers uh, should share key information with distributors um, and, and that clearly being three months ahead of the implement, implementation deadline. So uh, an, an acknowledgement, I think, that sort of the, the interaction between different parties in the distribution chain um, will need some preparatory um, uh, uh, dialogue and interaction. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to see um, in our next governance reviews in the autumn, actually, how boards are already thinking about that. And it's going to be interesting, although to be fair, I've had already conversations with a number of chairmen of boards who've been already thinking about consumer duty dashboards. And I was like, wow, that's impressive. Um, okay, well, perhaps to just wrap up the conversation and, and one last question, which is maybe a little bit more speculative, but I think it's actually quite interesting to, to think about it. Which firms do you think um, would experience the most noticeable shift in terms of how they have dealt with consumer protection, if you like, before the existence of consumer duty and now? So basically, which are, which are the firms the most impacted at the minute? It's, it's a really good question. And I think so what I would say right up front is that there will be all sorts of things that well-managed and well-run firms are doing at the moment that can serve as a very good starting point, if not potentially finishing point on some of the aspects of consumer duty. So there is uh, absolute opportunity here to leverage current arrangements that are delivering the right kind of um, um, oversight and, and, and outcomes. Um, however, um, and, and I guess, I'll also start by saying there is no one uh, answer to consumer duty. And I think importantly, though, there's not even one consistent um, right question that firms should be asking. It, it is so firm specific um, that, that, that time needs to be spent to really tease out where are the, the big impacts. Um, but you asked about kind of you know where is where's the biggest change going to be where the biggest delta is going to be. We we, we talked um, right up front around application of this, and I think um, those firms that that deal with um, SMEs, micro enterprises, smaller corporates um, are going to have to work quite hard to think about how. Um, what are essentially retail expectations being pushed into those kind of customer bases um, will we'll make a change. Uh, we know that firms are thinking about that, um, but I can see that being some of the more material um, bits of gap filling that, that, that will need to be done. Um, regulators have been keen to point out, you know, that, that 
this this applies to payment services firms, e-money firms, uh, in a way where kind of the 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 pure legal structure of the regulatory regimes around those areas um, has often caused a, a little bit of of room for for manoeuvres to quite exactly what applies. But I, I think it's really important actually that they do see um, those those types of firms being held accountable to the same to the same standards here. Given again the, the just the interconnected nature of 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 the way uh, that that, that um, financial services products and services are now delivered, so I I think it's that, that those firms that have you know are already doing lots of good things that that meet current conduct expectations uh, where retail customers and consumers are involved will have a good starting point on this. Um, those that are involved in complex distribution chain. Uh, chains where there's been little time spent really codifying how all that work should work together and we'll have some work to do around that as well I think um, but otherwise I, I, I do think it's those that are on the you know slightly increased perimeter of this which are going to have um, probably more to do in terms of absolute gap filling yeah no thank you Alex and, and thank you overall for your honest views and, and insights. It's uh, it's really a lot to unpack here. Certainly um, a plethora of new rules that firms will have to get familiar with very quickly. Um, a lot of new concepts that probably are difficult to grasp and apply in some instances, but hopefully some kind of sensible timelines based on what you're saying. So a bit of time to think about these things. Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you very much um, for for this conversation. My pleasure. And, it's been great to talk. As always, and thank you very much to our listeners as well. We have also published a series of insights article on consumer duty, so please make sure to log into uh, our website and our consumer duty help for some further readings. And to stay up to date with the upcoming episodes um, of our podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Amazon Music. We'll be back with our next episode very shortly. Thank you again and goodbye.